You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray, y'all, and we'll get started. Y'all ready? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. All right, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about tonight, but let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, and your love for us, Lord. Thank you for how you care for us. Thank you, Father, for uh, just uh, your favor and blessing that is upon our lives, Lord, and how you take care of us. And so, Father, I thank you and praise you tonight for the Word of God. And, Father, we approach your Word with honor and with reverence. Father, we believe for your word to become alive on the inside of us, to mold us and shape us into your image. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised us that he is our teacher, that he would bring revelation and insight. So, Lord, we release our faith right now, and we believe to be taught. We believe to receive insight, things that we've never seen before from your word, And Father, we believe you and thank you for it. And and Lord, like the book of James says, we will be mindful to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And we love you and we thank you for it and give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's turn to our foundation scripture in John chapter 21 and verse 25. And if you want to turn there and then also over to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 38 there. John 21, 25, I'll read it out of the uh, New King James and then read it out of the Amplified. The scripture says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Amplified Bible says this, And there were also many other things which Jesus did, And if they should all be recorded one by one in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain or have room for all the books that would be written. And so we know, uh, you know, by just studying the Word of God, there were many, many, many things that Jesus did, many opportunities that He taught and preached the Word of God. And of course, we don't have record of all of them. We have record of what would fit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, the great thing about that is the Holy Spirit knew exactly what we would need. And so, yes, I'm thankful for all those things he said and did, but thank God we don't need all of those. We need and have exactly what the Holy Spirit planned for us and put into our hands. And so, you know, and the whole thing about studying all these cases of healings is this, if we can learn what the people did to receive from Jesus, we can receive what the people got. So that's what we're after. We're after studying and looking at what the people did to receive from the Lord. And of course, we're looking at what Jesus said and did in each of those cases. But here's the point is that if we are in need of healing, we can look at these, see what they did, put into operation what they did, and receive from Jesus just like they did. So let's look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And as I uh, 
said, I'll read it to you from the New King James, and then I'll read it to you from a couple other translations. Acts 10.38 says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Aren't you glad healing is good? Yes. Healing is a good thing. You know, there's some religious folks that don't think healing is a good thing, but I'm glad Jesus thought it was a good thing. The Amplified Bible in that last part says how he, Jesus, went about doing good, and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. I like that translation because, you know, all of us, uh, I'm sure at some point have been sick, and you know sickness is a harassment. It is nothing but a harassing distraction and and uh, thing that the enemy brings into our lives to try and destroy us. The message translation says that, or message Bible rather, said this, he went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all this because God was with him. The Williams translation says that he went about doing good and cured all who were overpowered by the devil because God was with him. And so I'm thankful for that. Now, as we've been saying every week, you know, and you're going to see this again tonight, pay attention to the details uh, because, uh, you know, everything rises and falls on details, if you ask me. And so uh, another reason that we've spent so much time talking about these things is not only so that we can receive healing for ourselves, but so that we can learn how to be effective in ministering healing to other people. Now, somebody tell me, give me a summary of Jesus' ministry. We've talked about this every week. Give me a summary of Jesus' ministry. What, uh, what does the scripture say in Matthew's gospel that summarizes Jesus' ministry? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Absolutely. Matthew 4.23 says that Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And in uh, Matthew 9.35 basically says the same thing. He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, no... I am so glad there were not any sicknesses or diseases that he was not able to heal. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that ought to help us. Listen, there is nothing. I'm thankful for doctors and medical science and all that they do. And even as they discover new things and as they, uh, you know, get in and, and through science and they dive more into sickness and so forth, you know, there's not one thing that they could find today that Jesus is not able to heal as well. You know, we don't know of any record in the Bible of AIDS or HIV or, you know, something along that line, which is, you know, relatively new within the last 40 years or so. But thank God, if Jesus was able to heal every manner of sickness and disease in the four Gospels, then he's still able to do that today. All right? So, these things belong to us. Healing belongs to us. It is part of our rights and privileges that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what's interesting? I had, uh, and I'm probably going to make reference to this a couple of times tonight, 
But uh, throughout the week last week, spent some time with some wonderful, wonderful dear people. Uh, but they are predominantly from a large denomination. And so we had some conversations about uh, certain things from the Bible. And, and uh, you know, I've just learned throughout the years not to force myself and what I believe on other people. And uh, so, I, you know, a lot of times I'll just be quiet and let people talk and just share. And, and it's amazing to me uh, what some people believe about healing, or let me say it to you another way, what they don't believe about healing. And, uh, you know, what the excuses, uh, and that might be harsh, but the excuses that people have come up with as to why people have not been healed. You know, well, I prayed for so-and-so and they didn't get healed. And so therefore, it must not have been the will of God. And, uh, you know, I want us to clearly understand and we can support it from the word of God that healing is God's will. It is not God's will that his children be sick. I'll go so far and to say this, uh, it is not God's will that God's children die with sickness. You know, if you're ready to go home and be with the Lord, just sit down in a chair somewhere and go home to be with the Lord. But you don't have to go to heaven because you were sick. God, uh, you know, the Psalm 91 says that God wants us to live a long life satisfied. So when you're satisfied and you know the Lord is satisfied, then just go home to be with the Lord. But you know, somebody might say, well, how are people going to die? How are they going to go to heaven? Well, they don't have to go to heaven sick. Uh, you know, that is, that is not God's plan. And so, you know, I just am amazed, that, as I was saying, as, as what people believe. But anyway, it's, that's not Bible-based. I'll just say that. All right, so we're uh, looking at the, the ministry of Jesus in the healing or deliverance, rather, that he provided for the Canaanite woman. So let's go over to Matthew, the 15th chapter, Matthew, the 15th chapter, and let's look there. And um, Matthew, the 15th chapter in verse 21. So we're going to read verses 21 through 28. And uh, I love this story. I, I quote from it a lot, but it, it's just a great story. Uh, you know, great case of healing. So verse 21 of Matthew 15 says this, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Verse 23, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Verse 24, But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread, throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as, your, as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that hour, from that very hour. 
So let's break this down. Let's begin to look at this uh, verse by verse. So let's look at verse 21 again. It says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now this is important. And of course, as I said, pay attention to the details. So notice it says Jesus went out into this area called Tyre and Sidon. Well, this was a, a, a district, an area that was predominantly occupied by Gentile people. Uh, the Tyre and Sidon were part of the Syrian Phoenician area. If you're familiar with the map of Israel, you know that Syria is across the border. And uh, so the, the thing that I want you to see is, is that these were Gentile people who were separated from God. Now, just to you know, give you a little historical thing, these are people who were left over because the children of Israel did not fully obey God and go in and drive these people out. So they were still living there, although they were Canaanite, um, heathen, idolatrous people. And so these people clearly were Gentile people who did not have a covenant with God. So Jews were, as you know, Jews were the only ones that had a covenant with God at this time. But here's the cool thing about this particular verse. And again, as you've heard me say, Jesus never did accidental and he never did random. So Jesus didn't go out to this place and go, oops, I didn't mean to cross the border from Israel into this part of the country. No, he went there on purpose. And so what that tells me is, is that Jesus went to minister to people who did not have a covenant with God. Now, aren't you glad that he did the same thing for us? You yes. know, here we were, Gentile people, uh, lost and undone, and thank God Jesus did not die just to save the Jewish people. He came to the earth, he lived and ministered and did what he did, and then of course died on the cross to reach all people. And so I'm so glad for that, but we see evidence of the, his heart here in this particular scripture where he ventured into a land that was mostly filled with Gentile people. And so he is telling us, he's sending us a message by doing this saying that his desire is to reach these people. And you know, that ought to be our desire too. I think sometimes in the church, and I mean church universal, we tend to focus on people that are within the church and we forget that there are a whole lot of lost people that are out there that don't know the Lord and we need to you know, have them on our radar to be paying attention to them and trying to reach them. Now the good news is in doing this, he's showing them that soon because of what he's getting ready to accomplish on the cross, they will have a covenant with God. And just like you and I have a covenant with God. You know, I want you to think about something. The, the worst people in the world, you know, and of course we're all kind of on the same playing field, but what I mean is this, the people that we think are the farthest from God are really ones that Jesus died for, just like he died for us. And, uh, you know, he desires to reach them just like he desired to reach us. And so we see that in this particular scripture. So he purposely went out to this region where there were a lot of Gentile people living. So look at verse 22, and it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. So here we have a Gentile woman. She's a Canaanite woman who lived out in that Gentile region. So 
I want you to really pay attention to the fact that she does not have a covenant with God, that she is a Gentile woman. And notice what it says. She cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, let's point out a couple of good things about this woman. Here's the first thing I want you to see is that she is a Gentile. She doesn't have a covenant relationship with God. And she has absolutely no promise from God whatsoever that anything of God belongs to her. But... Listen to this. She doesn't wait for a promise. Her need is too great, so she goes after Jesus anyway. And I, I admire that in this woman. I appreciate that in her. You know, she didn't have a promise from the Word of God in the sense that, uh, like the children of Israel did through the covenant of Abraham, but, but she persisted. She wanted something from the Lord. Now, again, she didn't want it for herself. It was a need within her own household, and she wanted Jesus to be able to meet that need. So as I mentioned to you, the Canaanites in particular were a Gentile people. They were considered unclean by the Jewish people. Now, it's interesting to me that, you know, here God told them to go in and drive these people out of the land. They disobeyed God. So here they are several thousand years after that, and they have the gall to tell these people they are unclean. Well, if you had obeyed God, these people wouldn't be an issue. All right, but anyway, that's, that's a little side note. But notice it says here in uh, verse 22, it says that, um, well, let me, let me draw a reference for you. Write this scripture down, just the reference, Mark chapter 7 and verse 25. Mark chapter 7 and verse 25, this is Mark's account of this same healing. And Mark brings out something a little different than Matthew does. He talks about how the woman had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. Now, what do you suppose she had heard about Jesus? That he heals. Yeah, that he was a healer. Maybe she had heard about him delivering people and mm -hmm. so forth. So, uh, so, and then it says she came and fell at his feet. Now, she must have heard that he was a deliverer. Why? Because that's what she had faith to receive. All right. And as we have said all throughout this study, it matters what you hear about Jesus. What you hear about Jesus determines what you're able to believe him to do in your life. Now, as I said, I had conversations with people uh, you know, as I said, dear, sweet, precious people, um, but they've heard some incorrect things about Jesus. They've heard some incorrect things about Jesus as the healer. They've heard some incorrect things about Jesus' will and desire to heal people today. And so, for, so because of what they have heard, it shapes what they believe Jesus to be able to do in their lives. So, you know, I would venture to say that, you know, the, the folks that I was talking to in particular, they do not have the faith to be able to receive healing from Jesus because, A, they've been taught the wrong things about Jesus, and because of what they have heard, they believe the wrong things about Jesus. So here's my point. My point is, is it's very, very important 
that you and I hear the right things about Jesus, and then as opportunities become available to us, we tell other people the right things about Jesus. Okay, so it's very, very important. Now, John chapter 10 and verse 10, you know this verse, John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. All right, so here, here's what you need to, to think about for just a moment. The devil is coming after you, and Jesus has come after you. Yeah. One of them, now, because he said in John 10, 10, both are coming. He said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life. So my point is this. Anything that comes to steal, kill, and destroy from us or in our lives is clearly from the devil. Jesus said so. And I believe we can, we can take what Jesus said to the bank, so to speak. It is the truth. And so he said of himself, I have come that you might have life and that, that you may have it more abundantly. So anything that brings life is from God and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, and, and you have conversations with people and people believe that, that God allows or puts sickness and disease on people to teach them something. You know, and, and the fact of the matter is, God doesn't incorporate sickness and disease to teach the people. Jesus never ever said once that the teacher of the church will be sickness and disease and adversity and poverty and lack and insufficiency and all those things. No, he said the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will teach the church. Well, somebody said, well, pastor, you know, I, I got sick and I, I learned and drew close to God uh, because I was sick. Well, I can tell you this, that might be true that you drew close to God. And yes, you might have seen some things in the Word that you had never seen before, but you could have learned that while you were well and didn't have to get sick. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. If the devil is the one that brings sickness and disease on people, which he is, then for God to bring sickness on us, he'd have to borrow it or steal it from the devil. Now, that sounds funny, but that you know, if you think this logic through, it does not make sense, okay? So, uh, you know, again, I know you know this, but I'll clearly want to emphasize that sickness and disease is not the will of God. It doesn't come at the hand of God. And uh, God has nothing to do with it in the sense of orchestrating it and bringing it to pass in our lives. And, you know, some people, you know, when they hear about uh, people today receiving a miracle, you know, I'm amazed at the number of people that don't believe in miracles today. I'm talking about born-again Christian people that don't believe in miracles today. And, and I'm going to say something to you, okay? Don't doubt today what you might need tomorrow. In other mm -hmm. words, you, you know, don't question whether miracles exist because I promise you there's going to come a time in each of our lives when we're going to need a miracle from heaven. So you better stay open to miracles <laughs> All right, so now 
let's talk about this. Notice in verse 22, notice what it says. She cries out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, notice she says, Have mercy on me, but it's her daughter that needs healing and deliverance. Now, why does she cry out for mercy for her? Because the fact of the matter is, this woman's household was completely disrupted by what the devil was doing in her household in the life of her daughter. I mean, you can imagine. Now, we don't know exactly how this was manifesting in her daughter's life, but let's say it was, you know, some type of maybe seizures or that type of thing. You know, if you've ever been involved with that or had that in your household, you know that that disrupts your household. And after a while, here's, here's the, the, the insidious thing about sickness and disease. Sickness and disease can enter a household and cause that entire household to have to revolve around it as long as it exists. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, you let somebody in your household get cancer and get a terminal diagnosis to where they require medical treatment all the time or something along that line. Well, guess what? Everything in your household stops and goes, goes about facilitating the care of the person who is sick. And so what God wants to do, and one of, one of the many reasons that he does heal people, is he wants to bring peace and stability and normalcy back to people's homes. God doesn't want your home all jacked up because of works that the enemy is trying to bring to pass in your household. God wants you to have peace in your household. God wants you to have joy in your household. God wants you to, to have a fulfilled household, all right? And so he is not about there being disruption in your household. You know, I'm reminded, and we've talked about this, but uh, when Jesus raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, you remember the first thing that he said to her, or said to his parents, or said to her parents was, don't tell anybody, and then give her something to eat. And you know, I've taught you that the reason that he said that was he didn't want that child to become a spectacle in the village. He wanted her to be able to live a normal teenage life and to grow up and to be, uh, you know, a young lady like, like God had planned for her to be. He didn't want her to become a circus freak, in other words. And so that's God's will. He doesn't want your home being disrupted. And I want to say this to you. Your home ought to be a place of peace. I, I'm going to say this to you. When people come into your home, they ought to sense the peace of God in your home. They ought to sense that there is a, a manifestation of the peace of God in your home. You ever walked into your home and, and it, you know, I've had this happen, where you can sense that the people in the home have just had an argument even though you didn't hear any of it, you didn't experience any of it, but you can feel that tension in the air. Well, that is not the will of God. That is not the plan of God. He wants your house filled with peace. Now here, I'll say this to you, and I know we're off the subject a little bit, but I'll say this to you. You're going to have to enforce that peace. Okay. You know, for, uh, Parents who have ch small children, you can't let your children say and do whatever they want to say. 
and you're going to have to enforce peace in that household. You know, if your children are wanting to fuss and fight with one another, you as a parent are going to have to stop that. And you're going to have to put an end to that. And also, you know, with your own spouse, you're not going to be able to tolerate strife in your household. Because I promise you, when you tolerate strife in your household, it is a golden invitation for the enemy to be able to come into your household and do whatever he wants to do. All right? That's free. That won't cost you anything. All right? So... Notice what she says, though, in verse 22. Go back to that. It says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. What did we establish about this woman? What is she? A Gentile. A Gentile. She is mm -hmm. out of covenant. She does not have a covenant with God. So... Mm -hmm. Here's what I want you to see. The reason, and we've heard other in other cases of healings where the Jews would cry out and say, you remember blind Bartimaeus? He cried out and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. You remember that? Okay. So here's this Gentile woman crying out, saying the same thing. Well, let me let, me let you in on a little clue. All right. The only reason she is saying this is because she heard the Jews saying it. In other words, she has no covenant right to cry out to God and say that. So what am I saying to you? She's referring to what the Jews called Jesus because she thinks that's what Jesus wants to hear. In other words... Those are borrowed words that are not really coming from her heart. Now, this is something, and I want to warn us all about this. You must be mindful. Do not, even words that I say, don't approach the Lord based on words that I say. Approach the Lord based on words that are in your own heart. Don't be, approach the Lord uh, based on what you've heard other church leaders say. No, that, because those are borrowed words and they are really not in your heart. So the, the reason she said that is because she thought that's what Jesus wanted and needed to hear. And, uh, and she's trying to get his attention. And, and I respect her for that but she's going about it the wrong way, all right? Now, um, let me show you an incident. Put your little marker there in Matthew 15, and let me show you an incident where we see this in another case. Look at Acts chapter 19, and we'll see where some folks got into trouble trying this, all right? Acts chapter 19, <coughs> excuse me, and look at verse 11, Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. It says this, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant or traveling Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, now pay attention to what they said, we exercise you 
by the name, by, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. In other words, we command you to come out by the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And these also were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Now, look at the response. What did they get when they tried to use borrowed words, not in the name of Jesus because of what they believed in their own heart, but because of what they had heard that Paul does? Look at what happens. Verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And notice what happened. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> now we, we look at that story and we laugh, but here's the truth. Because they tried to function with things that weren't in their own hearts, borrowed words that they'd heard somebody else say, the devil was able to beat them up, strip them naked, and run them out of the house. <laughs> All right? Now, I'm not saying that that would go that far for you, but what I am saying to you is that Jesus does not want you to address him based on what you've heard others say about him. Okay? Because these Words are not yours. They're not in your heart. They're borrowed words. He wants to hear you and what you believe in your own heart. All right? This is why it's so important for you to have faith for yourself. Now, and again, I love and appreciate the fact that y'all, uh, you know, jump on Bible study and, and study the Word of God with me and all of that. But my desire is to build faith within you so you can receive from God, not, not relying on what I believe and what I say. I want you to have faith for yourself. I want you to say that when you believe God, you believe God because of what you believe in your own heart, not because of my words, all right? So it's very, very important. So go back over to Matthew 15, because here's what happened. Notice what happened in verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. Why? Because these were these were not words coming from our own heart. Now you something I want to say to you, okay? Jesus wants to minister to her. You've got to understand that. He is not looking for ways to avoid ministering to people. So it says that but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So here's what happened. This woman, when she didn't get the response from Jesus that she wanted to get, she started calling out to the disciples, Hey, can y'all help me? Can you, you know, can you do something for me and my daughter? And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, send her away. She's bothering us. She's harassing us and all of that. Now, again, I have to say this about her. She's persistent. And faith is persistent. So if she wasn't getting the help that she wanted from Jesus, she said, well, let me work on these guys that travel around with them and see if they can help me. And, you know, she didn't know what she was doing, but she was doing all that she knew. And so you have to give her credit for that. She is definitely persistent, all right? And so what you need to understand is faith is persistent. We've talked about that in the past. This persistence that you see demonstrated in her 
is a feature of faith. Now, as I said to you, Jesus is not looking to send anybody away. He's looking to minister to everybody he can. But he has to work in her life to bring her to a place of right thinking and right believing. Because right believing is what's going to be the open door for him to be able to minister to her and help her in this situation. So, verse 24, but he answered and said, now he's saying this to his disciples and he's saying this to whoever's listening, including the woman. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I love the fact that this woman did not give up. Notice what happened next. Verse 25, it says that, um, well, let me back up and make one quick comment about what Jesus said in verse 24. His first and primary assignment was to the Jewish people. Now, the cross was going to be expanding his assignment, as I said to you earlier, from not only the Jewish people, but to everyone, to the Jews and the Gentiles, all right? But right now in his ministry, right here, his assignment from heaven is only to the Jews. But isn't it good that even though that that was his assignment, notice he was able to go beyond his assignment a little bit and help this woman out. So look at verse 25. It says, then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. So here she comes. She circles back around. She comes back to Jesus a second time. And she approached him. Listen to me carefully. She approached him without rehearsed, borrowed words, but with an attitude of worship that came up out of her own heart. Very, very important. Now, she cuts through all the extra fluffy stuff, all the religious stuff she had heard. And she simply boils it down to a heartfelt prayer where she said, Lord, help me. Now, I'm going to say something to you. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to cut out all that excess mess. And, and when I say mess, I mean the fluff, religious fluff that we throw into our prayers sometimes. And you're going to have to break it down and make it as simple as three words. Lord, help me. And, 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 and it's so important that we understand that, that you have to cut through that and get very real, very simple, and very plain with the Lord. Why? Because that's what he's looking for in your heart. He's not impressed by our religious terms that we throw into prayers. You know, and, and it amazes me at the preachers that I hear pray who will talk to me one way in their office, but the moment they hit the platform and begin to pray, they sound like a completely different person. Listen, Jesus hears you in the office just like he hears you in the grocery store, just like he hears you in your home, just like he hears you on the platform. Listen, that's why I do my very, very best that when I'm praying in front of y'all or in the uh, church or whatever the case might be, it sounds exactly like my prayers do when it's just Jesus and me. Because I am not impressing anybody, especially Jesus, when I throw in, you know, a deep voice and 
you know, throw in a bunch of these and thous and try to talk to God all religious and stuff like that. None of that impresses the Lord. Now, look at this. So it says that she came and worshiped him saying, now a little side note, this is something that the Lord ministered to me when I was studying this. And that is this, write this down. It is impossible for you to worship the Lord without saying something. Some people will say, well, pastor, I just have a praise and a worship in my heart. Well, if it's really in your heart, then it's going to come out of your mouth. Okay. It is impossible for you to worship the Lord without saying something out of your mouth. Amen. No, notice what it says. She came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. Now, I love this. So she's cut through all the fluff. She's cut through all the extracurricular stuff that she's trying to do to impress Jesus. And notice what happens. She prays this simple prayer. She has a heart full of worship. And here's what happens. It causes Jesus to stop, recognize her, and begin to address her personally. Now notice he's still got to work with her. He's still got to bring her to a place of belief, but at least she's changed her heart attitude. She's no longer using borrowed words that she's heard other people say. She's just down to the nitty gritty of what's in her own heart. And Jesus stops. Notice what it says in verse 26. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, you know, that sounds hard, but Jesus is not trying to insult her. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. The Amplified says, it is not right, proper, becoming, or fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, there is a reason that he said that. Well, actually, two reasons. Number one, to the Jews, the Gentiles were referred to as dogs. Okay? You know, just uh, meaning they were less than. But there's another word that Jesus throws on there when he says, uh, little dogs. Now, again, you got to pay attention to the details. Why did Jesus say little dogs? Well, it's very, very important. Listen to me. The reason Jesus said little dogs was in the, the time in which he lived, people did not have big, full-grown dogs in their homes. That they got puppies, and when the puppies began to grow, oftentimes they would just turn them loose to where they would wander around. But as long as they were puppies and small little dogs, the people would keep them in their homes and take care of them. But what Jesus is telling this woman is that the Gentiles, that she is a Gentile, and basically, um, I can't take what is prepared for the children and feed it to the little puppies that are wandering around in the house. Let me, let me say it to you this way, okay? Um, a full-grown dog that was let go and just allowed to wander around had no caretaker. A little dog, a puppy that lived in the household had a caretaker. And what he's telling this woman is, 
that as a Gentile, you're not in covenant relationship with anybody. You're not able to be fed from the master's table. Now, let's go on. And it says it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, um, my, my grandmother, who lived down in Florida, was from France. She grew up in France until she was a, in her uh, right around 20 years old, 18, 19 years old. And growing up in France and in Europe, uh, maybe I think we, we do this some here in the United States, but more so in Europe, bread is a staple item at the dinner table. I remember my grandmother, you know, if I would prepare lunch for her, heat up her lunch or, or dinner, she always had to have bread with it. She had to have a piece, and most of the time it was her own homemade bread, but she always had to have bread with her meal. Why? Because in her, when she grew up, bread was a staple item at the table. Well, here's what I want you to see. Notice what he said, children's bread. Bread, what he's saying is bread, which is representative of healing and deliverance, should be a staple item at the table of God's children. Let me say that to you again. Healing and deliverance, which, is, which Jesus said is the children's bread, should be a staple item at the table of God's children. In other words, healing and deliverance ought not be unfamiliar to us. It ought to be something that we experience all the time. It's a staple item to us. All right? So Jesus said, uh, it's not right, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So healing and deliverance belong to God's children. It belonged to the children of Israel, and it belongs to... Uh, the Christian, the believer today, the born-again child of God, it belongs to us just like it did them and should be a staple item for us. Now, just a little side note real quick. Psalm 23, verse 5. Psalm 23, verse 5. Don't turn there. But you remember what David said? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You remember that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, notice he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here's something I want you to understand. Um, the enemy might be present while you're seated at the table and bringing everything or trying to bring everything into your life he wants to bring, but you need to understand this. The bread has been provided at the table. Did you get that? Healing, yeah. deliverance. What Jesus bought and paid for is what's served on the table. Now, the devil doesn't have access to the table. You do. All right? Mm -hmm. So you need to know that if he tries to bring sickness in your life, uh-uh, no, no, no. See, healing is served to me at the table. Deliverance is served to me by my heavenly Father at the table. So whatever the yes. devil tries to introduce into your life, say, no, no, no. You might be present in the room while I'm eating, but you're not able to sit at the table, nor are you allowed to steal from me what God provided for me and put on the table. 
Oh, hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. All right. Now, now here, I want you to picture something with me. And, and, and this last week, really, you know, and of course I've experienced this before, but this last week really kind of illustrated this particular uh, saying that Jesus said. Now, again, let me remind you. He said, uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, my, my cousin, who I went to visit down in her family, her husband and children down in uh, Texas, she has a, a little boy that's almost two years old. He's not quite, but almost two years old. Now, for those of you who, are, who have been parents and you've had small children, I mean, I'm talking about that age, how many of you know stuff doesn't always stay on that tray on the high chair or on the table? What happens to it? Where does it end up? On the floor. On the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you have a dog in the house, particularly a puppy, where is that dog going to loiter around? That's right. That dog is going to try and hang around the table to get what that little child either accidentally or intentionally throws on the floor. There was one night we had uh, pizza, and uh, Hayden is the, is the, the little boy, and he's as sweet as he can be, but we're sitting there eating pizza. And I thought he had eaten it all until I looked down on the floor and his all the pieces of his crust were on the floor. All right, so, you know, I figured out what he had done at that point. Now, here's my point in saying that. Um, this is kind of the picture that Jesus is painting for us, is that, yeah, we as God's children, we might accidentally throw some stuff on the floor. All right, but... I love her response. Notice what she said, verse 27. Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. The, the actual uh, Amplified Bible says, yet even the little pups eat the crumbs that fall from their young master's table. All right? So, you know, that just helped me picture that in my mind. And this is so true that, yes, when you have little children, stuff is going to end up on the floor. But I love this woman's faith. She said, yeah, that might be true, Lord, that that's meant for the children. But what they don't eat and they toss on the floor, I'm going to be there to eat it up. I'm going to be there to pick up the crumbs. I'm going to be there to pick up the pieces. All right? So, you know, whatever uh, she asked for Jesus, uh, she asked to receive from Jesus whatever the children dismiss and throw on the floor. Because, you know, listen, think about the Jews in that day. Uh, a lot of them just dismissed healing. So they threw it on the floor. They didn't eat it. They didn't partake of it. So I love how this woman came back and said, yeah, that's true, Lord. It's not right to give the bread to the children's bread to, you know, the dogs. But she said, yeah, but even the dogs that hang around around that table will, will get what those children disregard and throw on the floor. So, I, again, I love this woman's faith. Again, Jesus was not trying to offend her. He was trying to give her something to change her thinking and get her to a place of believing. Okay? Now, here's something she was also saying. All right? Now, get this. Don't miss this. And I love this about what she said. She is saying in the comment and in the reply that she said, you know, when, when she said, yeah, that's right, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table, what she's really saying is this, yeah, that's right, God, but even a crumb of God's power 
is enough to accomplish what I need it to accomplish in my daughter's life. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's look at what happened. So she makes that comeback. And then, Jesus, you know, I can, I just can picture the Lord, uh, you know, in verse 28, I, I can picture this big grin just pops on his face. And he says this, Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now, notice Jesus said she had great faith. Great faith. Now, let's review for just a second. Did she have opportunity to get offended at what Jesus said? Absolutely. Yeah. Did she have opportunity to get her feelings hurt at what Jesus said? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Did she have opportunity? Because, listen, he called her a dog. Now, again, he wasn't doing it to be mean. But, but what if her pride had gotten in the way? Mm-hmm. All right. So here's what I want you to see. Great faith is not easily offended and doesn't let its pride get in the way. That's worth writing down right there, y'all. Mm-hmm. Great faith is not easily offended and doesn't let pride get in the way. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's the last thing I want to say to you. This woman, in verse 21, did not start out with great faith. She did not start out with great faith. But because Jesus, in His love and His mercy and His grace for her, kept working with her until her faith became great. And here's the good news. The punchline of the whole message tonight is this. Jesus will do the same for you. If you don't think you have great faith now, let Jesus work with you a little bit. Put aside your pride. Don't get offended when he corrects you and you'll come out ending up with great faith. You'll come out of your encounter with him with great faith. And and you know, I, I, I remember this as I'm talking to you. Did you know that the people, there there was only a handful of people, two or three, that Jesus made the comment and acknowledged that they had great faith. And here's what's interesting in, in, in the Gospels. Both of them were Gentiles. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Either they didn't start out with great faith, but by the time he got through with them, they ended up with great faith. Because he worked with them, they didn't get their feelings hurt, they set their pride aside, they didn't make a bunch of excuses, and he was able to work in them and bring their faith from little or no faith to great faith to where he was able to accomplish in their life and do for them what they desired to receive. So here's the lesson for us to learn as we're growing in the things of faith when Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is bringing correction into our lives. Just understand, he's trying to get you to a place of great faith so that you and I can receive from him what he's wanting to get into our lives. And the worst thing we can do is get our feelings hurt, let our pride get in the way and say, well, Lord, I don't know why you're addressing me with that. You know, just set all that aside. 
and say, Lord, if that's what I need to do, then that's what I need to do. If that's what you say needs to be changed, then help me to change it. And, and, and I promise you that by the time he's through working with you, you're going to be a person of great faith. You're going to be able to receive from him what he desires for you to receive. Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Oh my God, yes. Well, praise yes. God. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.